Hey, Bethel Cleveland listeners. We just want to remind you that we've launched a brand new show called the Steve Witt Podcast. Each week, join Steve Witt as he goes further into the word and he offers his unique perspective on the things going on around the world. You don't want to miss this, so check it out. Search Bethel Cleveland on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. Enjoy. Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. You can open your Bibles. By the way, tonight we have an encounter night. We do it once a month. We're very excited about it. And uh, William, William, where are you? Right here, stand up just for a minute. William Hinn is here with us this morning. Turn around and kind of wave at him there. He's speaking tonight. You say he looks young. He is young. He's a fireball, man. God's really on this guy in a very powerful way. I've seen some of his videos. It's the first time I've met him. I'm excited to have him tonight. Please tell your friends. Let's pack this place out tonight and expect God to do something great. The only exception is Akron. Akron, we're asking, we're having a special meeting tonight, a vision meeting like I'm doing this morning for Akron tonight. Very special things I'm communicating. So those of you that are in Akron are going to go to Akron uh, tonight, and you're not going to be able to be here for the encounter night. Um, we have uh, a kind of a plan B for you, which is tomorrow night, BSSM, uh, when they meet. Uh, William's going to be there also, and you're invited to come and join BSSM that night for William Hinn. It'll probably be a smaller crowd, which may be great. So come on out and visit us tomorrow night. If you go tonight, you want to go again tomorrow night? Hey, have at it. That's what I'm going to do. So anyway, that's happening tonight. We've got a great thing. Check out your calendar and a website so you can keep up with everything that's going on. Open your Bibles, if you could, to somewhere. I've been messing around with this sermon so much, I forget where it is. Okay, where we go. Yeah, let's, let's go to Nehemiah. It'll take you a minute. Nehemiah is always in a place you don't expect it. So just open your Bible right in the middle, turn left. You're going you're gonna to get there eventually. All right. Nehemiah. And I want to talk today about, uh, this is the second week of Vision Sunday. We had so much to share. And by the way, at the end today, I've got five photos I want to show you. These are uh, renderings of our plans for this property. We're so, we've been working on it for months and I was so glad to get the renderings before. We barely got them before this Sunday, Thursday night. I think we got them. They look great, though. We're going to put them up a little bit later so that you can see part of what God has been speaking to us over the years. And what I want to do is lay a bit of a groundwork just right now for it. And we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2 because it, it aptly applies to where we are. Let me just tell you this. This is a time, I know this is like not conventional wisdom right now. This is the time to build right now. I really feel it. I feel that, that we need to lean into this season, regardless of what happens in our future, if things go up or things go down. Again, we are evergreens. We're a part of an eternal kingdom. We're believing for God to supply according to all of his riches and glory. And that is a lot. So we're depending upon the Lord. Remember in Jeremiah, get Nehemiah, I'll be there in a minute, but Jeremiah Jeremiah, even in a time of bondage, that's what I want to talk about today. When you're in Babylon, you still do a lot of the same things. When you're pre-Babylon, you do the same things. And when you're post-exilic or post-exile out of Babylon, you still do the same things. 
And so I want to show you because Jeremiah prophesies, before we get to Nehemiah, Jeremiah prophesies something that was contrary to every other prophet of the day. And his prophecy was that that you're going to be here a while. You're going to be in this difficult situation a while, so let me recommend that you make something amazing out of it. And so he tells them this. I just got this this morning. I've shared on this many times, but it's during captivity when all the prophets are saying, God's going to pluck you out of this. God's going to get you out of this. Jeremiah goes countercultural to the prophetic voices, so-called prophetic voices. And he says this, build houses and dwell in them. I, I built a couple of houses in Canada and it takes time, like nine months to a year to build a house. So that's a year there. And then, and then you got to move into them, dwell in them. So if, if God's plucking you out, you wouldn't be looking, you'd be renting. Saying, hey, I don't need much. I'm not going to be here very long. God's getting me out of here. Jeremiah, though, tells you the way to go. Every time in your life, this is the way to go. I want to tell you right now, regardless of where you are, regardless of your situation, God calls us to bear fruit. And so building houses and dwelling in them. Oh, okay. Now, the people that listen to that, we're probably in good shape later down the road. What they didn't know is they were going to be there 70 more years. So if I told you, hey, it's going to be 70 more years before things get clean and green and fun again or whatever, you'd be like, I'm going to someone else to hear the prophetic word. <laughs> well, Jeremiah was in that situation. And he says, plant gardens. I've done that. I'm not a big fan of it personally, but hey, if you need food to eat, you plant gardens and you eat their fruit. Okay, plant gardens and eat the fruit. That takes a while. You know, we're another year there. Take wives. Right now, in today's culture, we go with wife. Take wife. (laughs) And the take wife thing isn't some Neanderthal, wife, come here. It's not that. It's, it's, of course, got all the nuances I don't have time to go into right now, but, you know, get on eHarmony or something. That's what it's saying. And beget sons and daughters. Okay, now that takes time. We know what that takes. It takes time. And take wives for your sons. Wait, 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 wait. We're just begetting them. And now we're finding wives for our sons. That's like, you know, 20 years from now. Yeah, exactly. And give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Did you see that? Increased and not diminished. Even in times of difficulty, God's, he's got a one-track mind. Fruitfulness, growth, expansion, and it should affect us in our very spirit. God is always leading us forward. Doesn't mean there's not going to be hindrances. There's not going to be times you got to pause for a moment, but you know you are pausing to retool for what's next. You lean into God. Remember, I've talked about this out of of Hebrews ten. There's a funny word there. It's funny to me, at least. It, it it's the word that they use for shrinking back. Right before shrinking back, the last verse in Hebrews 10, right before the great faith chapter, is about shrinking back. And Paul actually, or whoever wrote Hebrews, actually says, you know, not that any of you are in this category, basically, but those who shrink back will find no pleasure in God. And the word is hypostasis. As soon as I saw that, I thought of apostolic. So there must be a hypostolic out there too. So the apostolics are the ones that are sent the ones that lean forward, hypostolics are those that shrink back. Every time something happens, they shrink back. 
But the men and women of God lean forth in faith regardless of what Fox News is saying. Play a little golf clap, I like it. Very good putt, excellent putt. <laughs> or that President Putin is getting nervous fingers with nuclear weapons. I looked it up the other night, we have one hour if he pushes that button. And two of his cities that he would target would be Chicago and New York. If the wind's going east, we're gonna hit by it. If the wind's going west, we're gonna be hit by it. Where do you go? You can't go north. Canada will not take you. You're going to have to go south. By the time the bomb hits, you'll be somewhere around Jerry's house, south of Mansfield. He will not take all of us in. So you got to just say, I was talking to my financial advisor the other day. That's what you do in times like this, to get reassured. And he said, look, here's what we're going to do. My dad and I have already talked about it. We're going to get a lawn chair and go sit out at Perry Nuclear Plant and just wait for it. It's not my notes. Okay. So, so we may increase and not diminish and seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. That's the last prayer you pray. Seek the peace of the city and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Let me just tell you something. If you'll pray for President Biden, I know you say, well, I'm not even praying for him. You pray for President Biden. You pray for that Congress and the Senate and the judiciary branch, the executive branch, you begin to pray for them, your peace is in that prayer. Your peace is not in watching the news every day or listening to the news or catching up on stuff that is, is scaring you half to death and we're selling out all the beans at Costco's because they're in your basement. <laughs> Apparently that's what you're going to live on during this Holocaust that's coming. No, we may be learning how to tighten up a little bit in our spirit and get our focus straight on Jesus Christ and trust in him that he will be our source in the midst of it. Remember, we have the Passover blood upon the doorpost of our heart. When the, when the angel of death comes, the blood of Jesus Christ needs to be over the post in your heart. And in this moment, how difficult it gets or how great it's going to be, I feel we're at a pivotal moment. I really do think the election has something to do with it, but I feel we're at a pivotal moment in American consciousness. Yeah. This next 20 years is either going to be amazing or it's going to be dreadful. And in many ways, it's up to the church what happens. God's called us right now to change our mentality from dread and despair to increase in God. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. Devil attacked on my throat there. Okay, Nehemiah chapter two. Let's go to it real quick. That was my warm-up verse. Nehemiah two says this. Nehemiah, now you remember he was, oh, thank you, Josh, appreciate it. <clears throat> Nehemiah was uh, in bondage, like most of the Old Testament was. Most of them were slaves. He was a slave with a good job. And his job was to eat the food of the king and drink the wine and hope that no one was trying to poison the king. And uh, it was a great job until it wasn't. <clears throat> you know, you can imagine in those days there a lot of poison being snuck into the palace, you know. 
And so he gets this burden, and it's not even indicated in Scripture that it was the burden of the Lord. Sometimes you do things because you know what is right. I talk to people now and I go, I just waiting to hear from the Lord, you know, what the Lord's going to say. And I get that and I understand that, but it is sometimes a major cop out because the Lord is raising up sons and daughters that had this thing called wisdom. It's a gift from the Lord. And in wisdom, you say, I know what to do. Have you prayed about it? No, actually I didn't. I pray about a lot of things, but that's not one of them. But I know what we need to do in this moment right now. And you begin to move toward what God has called you, what he's put in your heart. Because after all, we're being conformed supposedly into the image of Christ. We're able to discern. We're able to understanding. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm learning to trust you more. Hopefully that won't start any marital problems. But So Nehemiah goes to the king. And he is, he is a burden to rebuild the walls. Here's In Scripture, you're either dreaming about building, you're building, or you're rebuilding. <clears throat> kind of sums up the whole Bible right there. Jesus himself said, what was one of the key things he said about the afterlife and where he was going? I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will return. He is still building. He was a carpenter on earth. He built he was the creator of the universe. He built. He is creating within your own soul now. Master craftsman Michelangelo of heaven is shaping you right now into the very image of Jesus Christ. He is creative. He is powerful. And he's building your life. And he's called us, in essence, to have the same spirit upon us. We're always looking for how to rebuild, how to build, and how to shape people's lives and how to encourage them. We find that encouragement we use the word edifies, builds up the other person. You know, we're called to build one another up, especially the saints. We do it in here. That's why there's never any issues within the church. <laughs> never people getting upset at one another. It's because the Spirit of God is on them. Never questioning what the pastor's preaching on. Just because there's a Spirit of God. We don't get any of that stuff. No conflicts with it. Of course, I'm not telling the truth there. First time in a message in years, I haven't told the truth. But anyway, it says here, finally he gets to the place where he learns about, or where he's empowering the people to rise up in Jerusalem. So the king gives him permission. He goes over to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to rebuild the walls, but he's doing something others have tried and failed. And by the way, just to ruin the story, he does it in record time. But what does he do? He says something simple. He walks at night. He rides around on a donkey at night, looking at the walls, thinking, and he's either thinking one of two things. This is bad. It's way worse than I thought it was because the guys had come and told him that the walls were broke down. They were burnt. It's in bad shape. He's either doing that or he's going around going, yeah, with God, all things are possible. Cleveland, with God, all things are possible. Ohio, we know it's your state motto. With God, all things are possible. There's got to be a leaning. It's what causes the Wright brothers to believe that they can make a machine that will fly in the wind, Ohio people. It's why John Glenn thought, well, I'll be the first one to totally go orbit the planet Earth from Ohio. Neil Armstrong from Wapakoneta decides, I can walk on the moon. He walks on the moon. I'm telling you, Ohio has it in its roots to believe for the impossible. Can you not believe for the impossible? <clears throat> 
In a time of famine, we will harvest. Every one of you, nobody will be left out. Get in line now, because the wolves are out there. They want to peel off one or two sheep that are on the edges, saying, well, I don't know, let's just see how it goes. Those sheep end up in the belly of a wolf somewhere, and we've seen many that have been plucked off for that reason, and some that do not even proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. May that not be you. We are going all the way to the feet of Jesus in glory. And when it's going to be a challenging road along the way, but he has equipped us, he is with us. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, have no fear, I am here. Yeah. Woo, yes. All right. Struck gold on that one, Joel. Okay, in verse 18, it says this. He says, so he, he said to them, these are people that are like, oh no, another redeemer coming to help us, Nehemiah, what's he gonna do? He says, you see the distress that we are in. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging what's going on. We see the distress, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. We know that, we know that. We didn't bring you here to tell us that. We know it's difficult. We, we know that, well, I'm not going to say that. Okay. It says, come. Here's what he says. This is motivational speech. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Isn't that amazing? Those who are not willing to rebuild broken down walls bring a reproach. Cleveland has got to be touched by somebody. Why not? the power of God through us here in this place. And he said, and I told them, listen closely on this, because this will help you the rest of your life. <laughs> and I told them of the hand of my God. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. It was God that brought you here. Don't ever think it was anything else. I remember the singer that got up and sang a special solo, came down afterwards, and someone came up to him and said, uh, wow, that was magnificent. And they said, well, I know. I, I really did my best, and I thought it was the best I'd ever done. And he said, uh, well, it wasn't that good. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. She said, I got the joke wrong. <laughs> she, said, she said, oh, all thanks go to the Lord. I mean, it was all him that did it. And he said, well, it wasn't that good. So sometimes we do that. We say, well, it was the Lord that brought me here. Well, how beautiful has that been? This is a mixture. It's all, we are, I don't know about you, my feet are still on the ground. We are on earth right now, but heaven is right here. It's come down. The city of God is right here with the city of man. It's intermixed together. And the church is the line, the, the marginal line between heaven and earth. The church is not foolish. They understand we're on earth. But my citizenship is a dual citizenship. My citizenship is also from above. And God is my king. Those people will stand out in extraordinary ways during these times that we're walking in right now. So Nehemiah says all that, and we want to be every approach. And he said, I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and listen to this, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. That's heaven and earth right there. So we need God, and we need open, temporal, earthly opportunities to come together. When that happens, transformation begins to take place. Does God override that? Yes, sometimes he does. But the typical way he deals with people is with their feet still here on earth, but their heads are in the clouds. Their heads in heaven. 
They're hearing their instructions from the Lord. And so here we are at this place right now, the hand of my God in the king's words. Let me just review quickly. I want to do this real quick because I want to show you some stuff here in a minute. This church believes in the prophetic. All that, all that really means is that we believe that God really speaks today through people, imperfect people. God speaks today and he'll give direction and encouragement and consolation and exhortation, all kinds of amazing things, even give you little billboards toward the future where you see for a minute what God's doing, where he wants you to go. It's an amazing thing. And people can actually be trained and anointed, raised up in that. So we believe in the prophetic. Therefore, when prophetic voices are spoken into our church, we, we take them seriously. We listen to them. And we've had, we've had hundreds of words over these campuses that we have. And the strongest words that, that I have for this campus right here were from Graham Cook and Bob Jones. Graham Cook said that in the city of Cleveland, I will, I'd like to give you the whole thing. This is 1998 here uh, in Cleveland at one of our conferences. I asked him to prophesy. And that's, this is what he did. He, he prophesied over Cleveland and he said that the church of God's dreams would be built here. So when I heard that, I thought, I'm in. And the cool thing is people all over the city bought into it. I mean, churches, the evangelical churches are not even collected with, they have shared and said, have you ever heard this word from Graham Cook? I've been at meetings where they've come up to me and said, have you ever heard this called the city of God's dreams? I said, yes, I've heard of that. I said, I was there. You were there when he gave it? Yeah, it was at our church. What did he say? And so we give them the full print so they can read it. It's become a mantra for many churches throughout the city as they declare something that is not yet, that is yet to come. We're declaring, Lord, bring this forth and we must lean into the words of God. So God has a radical new, this is Graham Cook's words, I will pioneer, I will pioneer, I will build a radical new type of church. And Cleveland will not just be a city of visitation. It will be a city where the manifest presence of God inhabits. Ohio will be an altered state. Rick Joyner said something very similar to this. Ohio will be an altered state. I will open the windows all over the state. You will see an outpouring, the likes of which your forefathers dreamed of. And it goes on and on. I mean, every sentence is chilling. It's chilling. It's like, Lord Jesus. Wow, Really? Ohio, Cleveland, Browns. Hey, they beat Pittsburgh the other night, just saying. I made sure I let all my Pittsburgh friends know. Another powerful word that came out with Bob Jones in 2005, the Gulliver Man word. You remember it. I was there. I was in Cincinnati. We were sitting up in a balcony. It was probably, I don't know, a thousand people there or something. It was a big crowd. And uh, Bob got up there and spoke, looked around, says, is there anyone here from Cleveland? So he's in Cincinnati. I felt bad for Cincinnati. Anyone here from Cleveland? We jumped up right away. There's about eight or 10 of us, I think. Kind of waved our hands. He goes, okay. He started the Gulliver word. Many of you haven't heard that word. It's about a revival man, spirit of the church, which is huge, covering the whole East Coast of the United States. And he was asleep. But Bob says his head, and by the way, I just got this two weeks ago. I have not made the direct connection of what happened. I know I'm a little slow, 16 years it takes uh, to figure this out. But I'm very attentive to these things, so eventually they do come in. And he, he said that, that the head was in Cleveland. And the head must rise, he said this later on, that the head must rise first for the whole body which would stand in Atlanta, Georgia. 
It's, a, it's an awakening. It's a revival. It's a picture. It's a, it's a metaphor, an analogy of what revival will look like. But Cleveland has a key part. In fact, the entire torso is in Ohio. The heart's in Columbus. Reproductive organs are in Cincinnati. Cleveland, the head must rise first. And the funny thing is, during that time, the Cavaliers were using all these Gulliver spiritual biblical Jesus words for their mantras. You know, let us rise, rise, rise up. Uh, I don't have them all. I wrote them down. There's over a dozen of them. And the last one, when LeBron played in Cleveland in the, in the finals that they won, they, their mantra on the last game was uh, uh, win one for the king. So, I mean, it was just all through it. I'm like, this is crazy, you know? And I even looked it up on the internet. Jews were complaining because it sounded too Jesus-y, all these slogans that the Cavs had. But it was like a side parable of the Lord helping us rise up, wake up, do what I've called you to do. There's an awakening that is coming. Heidi Baker said, we're somebody that's been pregnant from the, this is 11 years ago, pregnant with the promises of God. And it's time to push, pray, until something happens. So you lean into and you pray until something happens. That's the push. So he says this, this man, his head was in Cleveland in a place called Jacob's Field. And of course, a year and a half later, I brought Bob onto this property. There were no buildings other than the barn and the prayer house over there. <clears throat> and uh, he stepped on the property. As soon as he stepped on the property, I was, we were with Ryan Wyatt and, and Jeff uh, Jansen back then. We stepped on the property and it began to like torrential snow. <laughs> it was this big snow just broke out. Bob's standing there, not, you know, bothered by it at all. He looks at the property and says, this is Jacob's field. And I said, I, I didn't know. I said, Bob, no, you know, he was an older guy, you know, maybe he's having a moment or something. I said, no, Jacob's field is downtown. That's where the Cleveland Indians play. And he said, I know that. He'd let you know if you said the wrong thing. <laughs> He said, I know that, but this is what I saw in my dream. And so it was only two weeks ago <laughs> that I put together, if the head's got a rise in Cleveland, in a place called Jacob's Field, this is Jacob's Field. And oddly enough, it's a field. And oddly enough, a church is here called Bethel, which is actually in Jacob's Field. That's the story that I preached out of last week in Genesis 22. When he saw the ladder going up and down from heaven, it was in the field that Jacob was sleeping in. And guess what? He was sleeping just like Gulliver. And when he woke up, he said, God is in this place. Ooh, I feel it right now. God is in this place and I did not know it. Some of you are coming to church every Sunday not realizing this is Jacob's field. <clears throat> but it's time to wake up. We have to be at the point of the spear on this. We've got to wake up. We've got to prepare not for what we need right now. We've got to prepare for what's coming. You say, well, how do you know that? I only know what I hear. And I hope to pray I'm here to see it all. That's what my prayer is. I just pray about every day. Lord, I just say, well, you know, I, I pray the old Celtic prayer. Help me, Lord, to live so that I can fulfill your dream. It's kind of an interesting twist on things, Lord. It's like appealing to the Lord like Hezekiah, give me more years. You know, Lord, you need more years. You need me to be here to do this, Lord. So we're praying prayers. Lord, keep us healthy. I want to believe that something supernatural is upon this church. I'm not saying that's above other churches. I'm not, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm not comparing it to other churches. I'm talking about our call. 
Our call, the specific call upon us prophetically, as I've looked at the words, and you know I have year after year after year, two weeks ago when I was reviewing the words, I'm going all over Bob Jones' words and everything else, I realized this is Jacob's field here. And I realized if that's true in a way I think it's true, we have a responsibility to begin to raise our head up in the midst of all this so that Cleveland can be awakened and it'll go all the way down to Indianapolis, Philadelphia, uh, down into Cincinnati, what was the other word? Over to Nashville and over to Charlotte. And when it stands up, it'll put both feet in Atlanta and the entire South will be one. That is a revival I wanna see. <clears throat> Yeah, Jesus. Oh, man. So what's it say in Nehemiah? <laughs> it says, let us build the wall. By the way, they did. They built the wall. I know people like to be nomads. Let me just talk about it for a minute. I just like to wander. Sometimes I'm in a coffee shop. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm in my backyard. I experience the Lord there. I do too. I get that. So I don't really need the church, you know? You know, I looked up last night how many times coming together is in Scripture. I was scanning through the page like this. Come together. Even in the New Testament, it says, and when you come together, when you come together. God did not allow for just one person to be in the garden. He saw the need in man which he had put there, that they would not be good to be alone. I'm telling you, even though you look at churches, I've had people, people tell me this week, because the church is so weak, the church is so broken. And I tell them the same thing over and over again. I said, I know, that's why Jesus loves them. They need the physician. Pharisees do not need physicians. So you either need to get into the church or become a Pharisee. Well, that wasn't in my notes. Not even a golfer's applause on that. So we like to live the nomadic life. Ephesians says we were separated, Ephesians 2. We were alienated. We were strangers. We had no hope without God in the world. Let me let you know, you have no hope without God. Even Jordan Peterson agrees with that. I love in his shaky voice for Jordan Peterson, probably the world's renowned psychologist right now. He says, if you really believe there's a God, he said, if I, if I truly believe that what Christ did was true, he said, it frightens me the consequences of how I need to live my life. And why are Christians in churches, he's become a prophet to the church. We're not even sure if he's a follower of Jesus yet. They're calling him false prophet on the internet. I said, well, he's speaking the things probably that the prophet should be talking about. And he's saying it much better. It's great wisdom. I have to look up a lot of the words he uses. But it's a deep dive into Jordan Peterson. So we've been that way for a long time. And Jude warns us about these people. The book of Jude. It's famous for being negative. <clears throat> the book of Jude rails against people that are wandering and causing trouble. This last thing I'm going to share for obvious reasons, but we're going to share some pictures to make you happy here in a minute. A puppy with some little, little ducks that laid down with it. You know, it's really, no, anyway. He says, in the very same way, by the strength of their dreams, ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. I want to talk to him about that someday. What were you thinking when you said that? And how did that ever get into the canon of Scripture? 
It's amazing. Yet these people, by the way, these are, these are, this is our culture right now. I mean, the evil of, of having children sitting in a reading session with a trans person who's dressed up in drag, I, like, that's not what I want to be celebrated in our culture. You say, well, it's really not any of our business. No, this is America. This is different than Babylon. This is different than Assyria. We're not being held in bound. We can actually vote people out. And yet so many Christians won't even vote. Be prophetic. Be prophetic and vote. Vote to where you believe God wants to take us as a nation. Does that make it sound spiritual enough? You got to vote. You say, well, it's, it's dirtiness, the, you know, policy, political. Then you're going to end up waking up one morning in Babylon and wonder how this happened. You got to pray. You got to pray and vote. Praying is the hand of God. Voting is the permission of the king. Those two together, you do it, you can rebuild the walls of America. Some of those walls may be literal, I don't know, but we got to rebuild the walls of America. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. They don't understand what they're saying. The very things they do not understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Man, if that doesn't describe this moment right now. These people are blemishes in your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only on themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are waves of the sea foaming up their shame. These are the people I fear more than anyone else are, are Christians that have gone off base and have become bitter and angry. They're worse than sinners. They will destroy, they will divide. Wind of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own desires, they boast about themselves and flatter others by, to, for their own advantage. I read that and I'm like, Lord, Lord, extract this from us, Lord God. I mean, the Bible talks about this dual looking at, at the, the people on earth. You know, there's, there's goats and there's sheep and there's, you know, those that, that choose, those that say yes, those that say no. There's the blessed, there's the curse. I mean, there's always this choice. There's the tree of life, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Psalm 1, we find there's actually trees and bushes. And you know Isaiah, I love that in Psalm 1 because it reflects well on Isaiah 61 that Jesus read when he was in the synagogue where it says, you know, uh, uh, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. It starts out with, you know, preaching the gospel to the poor. Uh, I'm, I'm anointed with, uh, by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. He's going through all this. We love those verses, but if you read on, it develops into this community of planted trees, oaks, tall, strong oaks planted by rivers. And those oaks actually bear fruit, oddly enough, in and out of season. And those oaks then, in the next verse in Isaiah 61, it says they begin to rebuild cities. What? Trees, planted trees that rebuild cities. They restore the broken places. They raise up the ruins. These are the broken, these are the trees that are out there planted by the river, guess what? You are trees, but others are not. They're bushes blown around by every wind of doctrine. What will happen to them? It's destruction. 
ultimate destruction. I know it's not popular to say that right now, but that's where it is. That's why we plead with people as if Christ, it says in Thessalonians, as if Christ was pleading for them himself, he pleads through us. What's the answer? It's the church. It's the church being joined together. It's the church doing something together. And I, I wanna encourage you, we're not, only, we're, not, we're not just building physical properties. I'm talking about that today because it's, it's where we are right now. But we're building a body. We have thousands of people over the past 26 years that have been trained in a prophetic here, trained in healing. Some of them do not go to our church anymore. They've been transferred to other places and even spread throughout the city. I rejoice in that. They're like seeds, seeds going all over the city. They show up in a church that doesn't pray for the sick. They're, they're confounded by it. They show up in a church and they give super-powered encouragement. And the evangelicals look at them and go, wow, you got some kind of gift, gift of encouragement. Well, it's actually the prophetic but many have not felt or tasted the power of the prophetic. And when it comes, they're astounded by the depth of encouragement that's attached to it. So all this is happening. Why? Because this is what God's called us to do. Let me read out of Ephesians 2, and I'm going to show you what I've brought to show you in just a moment and just challenge you to rise up and help us. Not today. You don't have to do it today. I'm giving you months to think about it. I know that's against all intuitive understanding, but we're going to give you time to let this mold, and I'm going to remind you periodically Ephesians 2, it says, Now therefore we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's what this is. Having been built, there it is again, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom this whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, you, you, you also are being built together for a dwelling place in God. So here we are. We've been in this property for <clears throat> 16, 17, 18 years. 18 years. I remember coming and praying right on this spot here that there would be buildings on this property to fulfill Bob Jones' word and many other words that came forth that thousands. We've had pictures, prophetic words about tents being all over this property. We've had prophetic words about children running all over this property. Bob Jones said he saw the people in his dream, which was Woodstock, which was, that represented like a half a million people. He saw them coming over the freeway fence onto this property in his dream, years before that. And he told me, he said, this is where it's gonna happen. The youth, you know, that was, that was 15 years ago. They're no longer youth. 15 years ago, something is going to happen in this movement called Bethel Cleveland that is above and beyond anything that we've asked or imagined. But we have mandates here. Tend and keep. We need to do that. Everything we have needs to be clean, nice. Be fruitful and multiply. These sound familiar. It's right out of the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill, subdue, and rule. Not be alone. And learn to rest, the Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath in the Garden of Eden, established it there. We need to have a rhythm that really believes in rest and believes in peace. So I'm asking you today to extend your, your post, drive your stakes in deep, another Isaiah reference, and look at some of the things that my architect and I dreamed up here over the past while. If we can get the first one up here. So this is where we are. That's our, oh, I should have brought my laser pointer. You can see our existing building there. And you see the little brown roof on there on the end of it? That's an extension going out here 
that will take us up to nearly 800 people in this room. And uh, we don't need it right now, but we need it pretty soon. Uh, we're, we're getting pretty crowded. Last week it was packed out, obviously, with the campuses coming here to visit. But without building a new building, that gives us more room and we can stay in this building while they build it. So that's something we're focusing on pretty soon. But look over here to the left, the barn down here. You see it right here in the uh, bottom part. That barn exists right out there. You saw it when you came in. Every visitor that comes here says, what are you going to do with the barn? Like it's, they're intrigued by it. So I took it to a group. I've got a group of wisdom counselors called a Wisdom Collective, about 20 of us, randomly selected out of the church uh, to be a part of Wisdom Council this year to help with challenges. And we've solved a number of challenges. This is one of them. We looked at doing daycare. We looked at doing uh, uh, workspaces, things like that. But we're going to use it as an event center. Meanwhile, we can use it for youth. We can use it for going forward. My dream is to have a self-sustained, financially self-sustained sustained property, that God will bless us, obviously, with tithes and offerings, but we don't know where we're going, what's going to be forbidden, what's going to be allowed. So we're preparing for that, uh, just like Joseph said, that you fill the silos up and uh, for three years, because there'll be a day when you're going to need it. So right here, the barn, we're going we're gonna to transform it. I already have plans on it. You can see there's a deck off to the side, a welcoming deck to the right. And then behind it is a patio and a deck above it, overlooking the pond. Great place for weddings. We can seat up to 130 to 140 people in there at tables uh, for weddings. How about a worship night in there? Can you imagine that? How about a youth night? I mean, it, it's going to look just the way it does now, cleaned up inside. They've got this special thing they spray on it that doesn't change the wood, but it's going to look exactly. They'll just put a new skin on the outside. It's going to look really good, just like it does now, but it's going to be updated, sealed off. A kitchen in it. We're believing for a full kitchen in the basement, what I call lovingly the pub, but it's a cafe down there. That's the entrance into the side there. That's our next project. That's what we're going to be bringing up and saying, we need the money to do that. You say, well, how much does that cost? We don't know yet, but it'll be somewhere around 1.2 million. But it's going to produce a lot of finances for the church in the days ahead, as well as giving us more space for youth and young adults and ladies groups and things like that. So that's right there. If you look at the up by the pond there off of the back original sanctuary. That is an office building, but also uh, extension for more children's space on the main floor. The second floor becomes our, our basically our offices for everything that we do in the three campuses. And it's got really cool effect to it. On the end, you see there's open balconies there uh, for meetings, uh, like three season meetings that you can have out there over the pond. Here to the left, I've been dreaming about this for a long time, it's, it's down the list. We're going to have to have supernatural gifts to do it. But over there on the left, that is the prayer house. We're going to have, um, yeah, it may not end up looking just like that, but that's, that's a very creative look. I'm going to put a little bit closer to the pond. I wanted a deck going out into the pond that people can pray on. It's going to have monastic cells in it rooms like closets <laughs> with a little window in it. You can go in there. I, I, I've been in these many times, like four by eight, for you to just lock yourself in overnight and pray and spend time with the Lord. There'll be ability to do that within that, about 12 of those. We're going to have an open room that seats 120, oddly enough. And uh, we're going we're gonna to start doing prayer sets and see how deep we can get in God, you know. We're already starting that. So that's, that's uh, long-term over there. The north, north part of the property is for further development. There's things we need to do. Down there on the south is another dream I have that, that I've been running through my head as a, 
It's, a, it's an Italian pavilion. And it's, uh, you can see the trees going down there toward that. Uh, we'll build a pavilion down there that can be used by the community, used by us. It's going to be open on all sides of the roof on it. It's going to have a prep kitchen attached to it with also outdoor uh, fire pits uh, for any events that we might have down the southern part of the property. It doesn't show on this particular picture, but just between that and the freeway, we're building a giant mound there with trees and everything on it to buffer us from the freeway, from the sound of the freeway, and also hopefully provide a sled riding hill for kids uh, to be able to come and spend time there. Of course, there's other things that are gonna be on this property like children's playgrounds, things like that. We ran out of time to put it all in, but this is a picture. If we can go to the next picture, just trying to show these little different view. So that's the, prayer, that's the uh, pavilion down here on the left. It's the opposite view. Looking up at the prayer house, which see is two stories coming out onto that patio. So it'd be great views there. It creates a, a campus feel up there. And you can see a little bit more of the barn and what's going to happen there with the entrance off of the parking lot and then the patio and the deck off of the back. A lot of glass is gonna be in the back on the bottom off of the back of that, so you're looking out at the pond. So next view. This is a little bit zoomed in here. Uh, you can see a little more detail. Oh, look, we got Bethel printed on the front of our building. Uh, <clears throat> there it is, and you can see better the, the children's area over there. Prayer house, all of it very similar, kind of matching together as a neat little campus. Uh, next one is the final one, I believe. No, it's not the final one. Another view, good view of it. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, this is the one where they're, they're labeled there. You can see straight down from overhead, like in a shot downward, uh, this is what it's gonna look like. And it's gonna be all working together. There'll be more parking, obviously, going in down at this uh, southern end. We have room for it. And by extending that, our main sanctuary here, it keeps us from having to go toward a larger building, even if we grow, at least at this time unless there's an outright explosion with tens of thousands of people, of course, everything would be different. But this is the view of what we're hoping to do. And throughout the week, feel free to email me with any questions or thoughts you might have. Let's all stand together if we can. So coming in uh, December, we're gonna launch, an odd month to launch it, but we're gonna launch a, a new um, capital fundraising campaign for the barn. We need to, for the barn and what we need to do in Middleburg, there's a few things we need to do up there we need a couple million dollars. That may just be given to us. It never has before, but hey, we're in a new day now. But I'm believing that everyone's gonna have a part of that in sowing into that. So I'm giving you a couple months to ruminate, think about these things, pray about these things, and see what the Lord is speaking into your heart. This is where we wanna go. And these are the people that are gonna help us get there. As God is building up us internally as a strong body and a strong church, all, the, all that's gonna be reflected in whatever buildings we built. We built this building, we, we got it at a steal. I mean, we worked out an amazing deal. They told me already this building that we built five years ago is 60% uh, more than what it was when we built it. It's valued now at about uh, uh, 3.4, uh, uh, I think it is, 3.4 million. Just this, this building and the lean-to over here. We also want to finish off this lean-to, which is this garage-like structure that's attached to our building. We're going to put two stories in there. We're going to have offices in there and storage areas. 
and possibly a classroom for the uh, kids in there. So a lot of stuff we need to do. These are immediate things we're gonna do by the end of the year. We're gonna start raising money. Hopefully by the spring, we will start construction on the barn. So could you just hold out your hands to the Lord? Let's just pray for a moment, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Stir us, Lord, like Nehemiah did. Lord, it's time to build. It's time to build. You say, this is a bad time to do it. No, it's a good time. It's a good time. We are moving into increase. Lord, I pray for this congregation. Those that may not be giving or tithing, Lord, I pray you'd stir their hearts right now. Lord, we, we have enough people to have an abundance of beyond anything that we could imagine. Lord, but not everyone gives. I just pray, Lord, you'd stir hearts, Lord. You draw them into giving, Lord. And we bless this moment as we contemplate what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.